From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, it is the fastest moving hour in Catholic radio. That would be Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. I'm Tom Price, filling in for Jack Williams. He'll be back uh, tomorrow. Father John, how are you today? Fine. How are you today? Very well. How are your uh, Thanksgiving preparations coming along? Oh, well, I'm, I'm leaving that all to Father Briganti. <laughs> okay, okay. He's, yeah. he's the guy in charge there, right? Okay. He is, yes. And my cousin, my cousin Ginny, not my cousin Vinny, my cousin Ginny is making some desserts for us. Ooh, that sounds really good. Uh, if you have a question for Father John, uh, especially that uh, regarding apologetics, how to better defend your faith, uh, do give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us outside of North America, please dial the U.S. country code, uh, which for most people is going to be the number one, and then 205-271-2985. Also, you can text the letters EWTN to 55000, wait for our response, and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. You can always send us an email the address openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. In the subject line, be sure to put either Father John or Apologetics or Monday so that we can make sure that the right question goes to the right host. So we've got a couple of uh, emails here, Father. This is uh, from Jim, who says, Matthew 23, 9 says, call no one on earth Father. So how does the Catholic Church respond to this with regard to priests? Well, in the same regard as what you call your dad. Yeah. <laughs> most uh, most Christians, when they fill out a form, it has a little line there that says mother and father. So if we took this completely, strictly, literally, you would not be able to f- uh, fill in that blank. Of course, you know, we use the word father to describe the, our dad, our, our mom's uh, husband, our biological father. Sure. Uh, we call Saint, uh, Saint <laughs> sorry, um, George Washington, the father of our country, uh, father, in, in this regard, when Jesus says, call no one father, it's like when Jesus said, when your right eye causes you sin, pluck it out. When your hand causes you sin, cut it off. It's always in, to be understood in context. And the context is that no one, no human being can replace uh, God the Father. And so we can't give the same honor, we can't give the same obedience uh, to a human being. But we use the the word father because it's analogous to God the Father. So priests are called father in a spiritual way, just like we have a godfather uh, and our biological or legal adopted father. So uh, it's not a term that we need to, to recoil from as long as we keep the proper context. Very good. Here's one from Julian. Which scriptures can I use to show a Mormon that the Catholic Church is the only church given God's authority? Well, I think the best one is in, 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 in Matthew's Gospel when he says to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so what is, what is the one church 
that we have uh, the successor of St. Peter, and that is the Catholic Church, because the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, is the successor of St. Peter. And there's been an unbroken line uh, of um, successors from St. Peter all the way down to our current Holy Father, Pope Francis. So it's Jesus' church. He built it, and he built it on St. Peter and his successor. So I think that's the most explicit uh, way to show that that's uh, what was our Lord's intention, and that's the fact of the matter. Yes, indeed. It is Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. Phone lines are open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father John, and that number again, 833-288-3986. Patrick says, after you go to go to confession, your sins that have been forgiven still have an effect. How long does this effect last, and what does that entail? Well, the effect, I would say, it could be like your attachment to these sins, even uh -huh. though you're sorry, you've been absolved, you may have still some little uh, effect or um, fond memories of some of those sins because yeah. you may have enjoyed them. And that's why doing penance or mortification in this life helps, but also in the life to come, purgatory uh, removes all that temporal punishment due to sin. So in essence, it burns off those attachments, uh, even to venial sins. Sounds good. Uh, Robert says, do you think the Apostle Paul had an, apos uh, an, an apocalyptic eschatology? If so, how best to explain it? <laughs> uh, well, uh, possibly. I mean, the Church has never definitively ruled, ruled on that. Um, St. Paul was much more concerned immediately with spreading the gospel at his time. He certainly makes allusions to uh, in the ages to come, but I would say... Uh, it's not as explicit as we would say, as we would find in in the book of Revelation, or sometimes called the Apocalypse, that was written by Saint John, uh, the Apostle and the Evangelist. So, uh, Saint Paul's uh, apocalyptic eschatology, uh, I've I've, re I've read about that. There's certainly a good case for that, but I also think he's grounded more immediately into his current uh, situation. Very good. Uh, Robert, uh, thank you so much for your email. It's uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. We're going to get to the phones in just a moment. If you'd like to get on board, 833-288-EWTN is our number, 833-288-3986. Sarah emailed us. Father uh, Sarah says, I'm not a Catholic. The rosary and praying to the saints sound like idolism to me. What are the arguments for that? Well, the Hail Mary is taken... Uh, right from the scriptures, especially from the gospel, the angelic salutation, Hail Mary, full of grace, uh -huh. the Lord is with thee. Uh, that's from the very lips of the archangel Gabriel uh, to Mary, and it's found in Luke's gospel. Likewise, um, blessed are you among women, uh, that's right from the lips of St. Elizabeth, which again is in uh, the gospel. So the Hail Mary is a biblical prayer uh, that the church uses, and again, it is not a prayer of adoration or worship, because that would be idolatry, but it is a prayer of intercession. We're asking Mary for her intercession, just as in the Gospels, many people uh, ask uh, Jesus to intercede for someone else, uh, most particularly like the Roman official who sends his messenger to Jesus to ask for prayers for not the Roman official himself, but for his servant boy. So Mary is just another intercessor, who goes to the one mediator, and that's what is happening when we're praying the Hail Mary. It's, it's if anything, it's it's a prayer of of honor, but not a prayer of, of adoration or worship, and it's an intercessory prayer as well. 
There you go. Sarah, thanks so much for your email. Vincent says, in Matthew 16, 19, we read about binding and loosing authority. My evangelical friend believes this passage to be in reference to spiritual authority over the spirits and that all Christians have this authority. Can you give me the Catholic response to this idea? Well, that is an interpretation, but not one that the, the church has uh, embraced. And we've seen from day one, uh, the power of loosing and binding uh -huh. has always been uh, ascribed to the Roman pontiff, the Bishop of Rome, or otherwise known as the Pope. Uh, it was uh, Peter who spoke up at the uh, Council of Jerusalem uh, when Paul has his uh, conversion on the road to Damascus. At some point he says, I must go to see Peter. So Peter and his successors have historically and consistently been the one who exercised that, that power. And it's a power of jurisdiction uh, as well as a teaching authority. Very good. Thank you so much for your uh, question there, uh, Vincent. Our phone lines are open here for Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio, and that number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. In a moment here, we're going to get to Janet in Michigan. First of all, a question from Linda. I have heard heaven defined as a state, not a place. How does this explain that we will be reunited with our bodies at the final resurrection? Jesus' words, today you will be with me in heaven. What do you think, Father? Well, I, I agree there. I mean, uh, we certainly believe heaven is a place insofar as the resurrected body needs to go somewhere. Jesus, you know, when he ascended and when he assumed his mother's uh, body and soul up into heaven, uh, you know, they had to go someplace. But the, the glorified body doesn't take up space in the same way as uh, the earthly or temporal body, because remember, Jesus walked through uh, closed doors. He appeared and disappeared. Uh, so it's not a place geographically that you can find with a GPS, but it is some place where your resurrected body will actually be. So yes, it's more than just a state. Okay. And finally, here before the break, Mark says, I have a Baptist friend. He believes Catholics pray to Mary. What should I tell him? <laughs> Well, again, um, the only prayer that we're forbidden to do uh, to anyone but God is the prayer of adoration and worship, because that would be idolatry. But Mary, we're asking for her intercession, and that's something which anybody can do. Sure. We love her. We don't uh, worship her the way we, we're, we would worship God. That's his and his alone. All right, Mark, uh, thank you so much uh, for your question. In a moment, as I say, we'll get to Janet in Constantine, Michigan. We have a line open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN for Open Line Monday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-281. 2985, or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, glad you could join us for Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio on this uh, beautiful Monday afternoon. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question for Father John, especially anything along the apologetics bent. Uh, that number again, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, we have a wonderful program on EWTN that airs on the weekends called EWTN Bookmark with Doug Keck. That is a 30-minute program. But we also have a short program called Bookmark Briefs. 
These air throughout the day, every day. If you've ever heard them, uh, you know that these feature uh, various authors giving a short synopsis of their work in his or her own words. It's a wonderful little feature, and if you would like to hear that, uh, you can, we'll send that to you uh, via email. It'll appear there uh, in your email inbox. All you have to do is go to EWTN.com, click on the word subscribe. That's EWTN.com. Click on subscribe. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We'll begin with Janet, a first-time caller in Constantine, Michigan. Hey there, Janet. What's on your mind today? Well, I just have a quick question for you. I understand when somebody is cremated, the ashes all have to remain together and be buried together. My question is, on the saints, why do we have relics of the saints that are displaced in different churches? Okay. Okay, well, that's, that's a valid question. And uh, the only time that we actually have relics of the saints is after they've been declared a saint. Um, so they didn't chop up their bodies and then spread them around. And then with the hope of them becoming canonized, um, the church is very strict on the use of relics. And the, it's meant to be uh, devotional. But it has to be someone who is at least uh, uh, beatified, and most importantly, they are very uh, supportive uh, after they've been canonized. Not all saints have uh, relics of their, and a first-class relic is a part of their body. A second-class is something that they wore or used, and then a third-class is, is something like a piece of cloth that was touched to a first-class relic. So in the case of someone who's been cremated, that person has not yet been beatified or canonized, and that's why... We want them intact, and if they were canonized, uh, their ashes would not really be considered uh, a relic because uh, that's a chemical change that happens to the body, whereas a bone or um, a piece of hair that has not completely changed, disintegrated into you know dirt, that would be uh, something that could be used as a, as a relic. Okay. Janet, thank you so much for your call. Glad that you're listening to EWTN on Holy Family Radio. Let's go now to Stephen in Longview, Texas. Hey, Stephen, what's on your mind today, sir? Yeah, uh, I've got a question, lifelong Catholic, and just wanted to know, how literal are we supposed to believe in the story of creation as depicted in Genesis? Uh, in other words, I, I've got no problem with the you know original sin and the fall of man and, and our need for baptism, but the, like, what does the church teach about the actual story as depicted in Genesis? Okay. Okay, that, that's a good question. And uh, the church uh, says that we must believe, and this is uh, was first really codified uh, explicitly by Pope Pius XII in Humani Generis, where the, the, the um, doctrine of uh, monogenism, that the whole human race can be traced to one set of human parents, Adam and Eve, and, uh, you know, that, and like he said, the, the, the that, um, original sin entered into the human equation and, you know, man was punished with uh, death and disease and suffering. Uh, and then there was a need of a, of a savior, a messiah who would come later in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, to literally interpret Genesis um, is going to be uh, dangerous because not all parts of Genesis were written uh, in a historical motif. Um, because obviously when Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel and Cain uh, kills Abel, there's only one kid left and there was only three human beings in that scene. So then why does God put a mark on Cain so that no one will kill him? Who is he afraid of if there's nobody else on the earth? 
he finds a wife. Where did she come from? Yeah. So Genesis doesn't explain all the the stuff that's in between the lines, so to speak. And Genesis has two different stories of creation. There's one where uh, man is made at the end of the last day of creation, sort of the crowning of, of God's creation. You have the uh, inanimate matter. You've got plant life, um, animal life, and then male and female, he created them. And then very after that, the very next chapter, we've got a different story of creation where God creates Adam first, then the animals, and then he creates Eve from his rib. They're not in competition because each one is, is telling a different uh, faith, a uh, different uh, truth of the faith. One, that man is the, cre- is the height of God's creation on earth. Secondly, only another human being, uh, particularly the complementariness of male and female. So Genesis is to be taken faithfully, but not every single uh, aspect of it is to be taken literally. All right. Appreciate your call, and glad that you're listening to us on Guadalupe Radio, Stephen. Appreciate your call. All right, it's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father John, we're waiting to hear from you. 833-288-3986. Here now is Katie in La Jolla, California, listening on the great JP2 Radio. Hello, Katie. What's on your mind today? Hi. I'm... um I'm calling about um, the teaching that um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, <clears throat> is an is uh, an intercessor for us with the Father. When in the Bible, we're told that Jesus is the only intercessor, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, so the only way to heaven, and that he is the only intercessor between God and man, and that he ever liveth to pray to the Father, for us to intercede for us with the Father? Uh, Well, um, I would say there's a distinction that's very important that's made in the Scripture. Jesus is called the mediator, and St. Paul says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's, of course, is Jesus, because he's both God and man. The word intercessor is similar to mediator, but it's, it's distinct. Because there are many intercessors, an intercessor is someone who goes to the mediator. So Jesus remains the one and only mediator, but the intercessors are those who go to the mediator. And again, this is shown very clearly in the gospel when Jairus goes to Jesus and says, my little girl is sick. Jairus is an intercessor. He's going to the mediator, Jesus. If Jesus would be strict on that policy that all only mediation comes from him and no intercession, then he would have said to Jairus, you have your daughter, pray to me directly. I, I, I don't need you as an intercessor, but that's not what happens. And likewise, the Roman official sends uh, a messenger to Jesus. So you've got both the Roman official and the messenger interceding to Jesus on behalf of the servant boy. So we make that distinction, and so does St. Paul, so does the church, that yes, one mediator Jesus Christ, but intercessors are, in fact, like if you say to me, Father, I'm having my um, appendix out tomorrow, can you pray for me? Then you're asking me to be an intercessor. Sure. Uh, I find nothing offensive about that because I'm going to Jesus on your behalf. Katie, is that helpful for you? Yeah, it does, because if I pray to, I pray to Jesus, asking him to intercede for us, if I'm praying for someone, for healing for myself or someone else, okay. I understand that, but <clears throat> I have heard a lot of Catholics, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of Catholics who pray to Mary 
as if she's co-regentress also for intercession, for favor from God the Father, because she's co-regentress with Jesus, as if she died on the cross with Jesus, you know, to pay that debt for our sins so that she could be our our mediator, as you would say, with, with also. So, um, okay. Okay. No, I, that, and, and that's another good question. The, the term co-redemptrix does not in any way away from Jesus as the sole mediator uh, and redemptor because just like when you've got a plane fi- uh, flying, there's the pilot and the co-pilot. The co-pilot is secondary to the pilot, uh, and, the, and the co-pilot is merely there uh, to help the pilot, um, but it's not one of necessity because certainly the pilot can fly the plane by himself. Sure. Mary is co-redemptrix. She works with Jesus, who's the one who is the Redeemer, she just assists in, 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 in the fact that she can make intercession for us to him. Okay. And we thank you so much for Katie, and glad you're listening on our great station there in your area, JP2 Radio. It's uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. We have a line open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you call right now, we can probably get your call on today's program. Emil says, I want to do the Gregorian Masses for the soul of someone that I know. Do I have to go through an official source, or can I do it myself by attending Mass for 30 consecutive days? What do you think, Father? Well, strictly speaking, the Gregorian Masses are 30 Masses uh, that are offered and celebrated for that per- that person who's just deceased. Okay. And therefore, you going and praying for them is not the same. You would a, a priest needs to say 30 masses for that particular intention. And because most priests who are working in a parish already are celebrating mass for the intention that's listed in the bulletin, you're more uh, likely to find a priest who can do this who's retired or like, you know, someone like myself who works at the seminary, yeah. uh, because, you know, we don't get mass intentions here uh, unless, you know, they're given to us through other institutions and parishes and, and, and the like. So I would say, you know, contact the diocese or go to the, ask someone at the priest retirement home, or if there is a monastery nearby uh, or a Catholic university or something like that. Great suggestion. All right, Emil, there you go. And here's one now from James. How do I explain to my non-denominational girlfriend how the rosary is beneficial to your spiritual life? Okay, well, the, the rosary is beneficial because the purpose of it is to meditate on the mysteries. And so the, the repetition of the Hail Mary, all right, even though we know it by heart, uh, it puts us in a meditative um, um, position. Uh-huh. Uh, so repeating the Hail Mary full of grace, Lord is with thee, and so forth, allows us, I can say that verbally with my mouth and my voice, but mentally I can now transcend and focus on the mysteries, whether it's, you know, the um, visitation, uh, <clears throat> the Annunciation, uh, the birth of Jesus, uh, or, you know, his crucifixion, all the, the mysteries. And, you've, you know, we've got uh, uh, five more since Pope John Paul uh, the Great uh, uh, left us. So all those mysteries help us get into closer uh, union with God by meditating on the, those aspects of Jesus' life here on earth. Okay. And one quick one here for, uh, for Wendy as we're going to break. Why doesn't the Church allow non-Catholics to go to confession? Well, because um, one must be in communion to receive uh, communion, and that applies to, obviously, Holy Communion, but also 
all the other sacraments in the church. So that includes anointing of the sick, the sacrament of penance. One must be uh, in full communion as a Catholic, not because we don't consider them worthy, but it entails all the obligations. Obviously, a Catholic has to go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. If they don't, that's a, it's a sin. They need to go to confession. A non-Catholic, it wouldn't apply to them. So a lot of the sins that we would confess wouldn't necessarily be applicable to them. That's why they need to be in full communion. Lots more straight ahead on Open Line Monday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Well, we are answering a lot of great questions on today's edition of Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio, and your question could be one of them in the next 30 minutes here. 833-288-EWTN is that number, 833-288-3986. All right, William has a great question. How could a God who is just allow all the death and violence that we see in the Old Testament? Well, uh, God is the author of life, so uh, when someone dies and how they die, it's certainly up, it's, it's his purview, so we can't say it's unjust if God decides a person, is, it's their time to go. Yeah. But he also, he created free will, and he respects free will. So if somebody does something horrible and despicable, uh, you know, like commits a murder or, or a theft, uh, that's their free will, and so God's not going to intervene, otherwise he'd be destroying the gift of free will. Uh, God allows evil to happen because he can also affect a greater good from it, one that we may not see immediately at that time. Uh, but for instance, when 9-11 took place, a horrible, heinous evil, you know, where th- th- 3,000 people were killed in New York alone, as well as down at the Pentagon and uh-huh. in Shanksville. Uh-huh. Um, but we also saw so many people step up to the plate, the first responders, the police, the fire, uh, the um, medical people, and even that, like that chaplain who was killed uh, in New York, the, yes. the priest. Yes. So God allows evil because of greater good and because of the fact that um, you know there is free will. So it, his justice is that if, people are, if evil people aren't punished in this life, they will certainly be punished in the next. All right, and we thank you so much, uh, William, for your question. Let's go now to Peter in New Orleans, listening on the great Catholic Community Radio. Hey, Peter, what's on your mind today, sir? Hey, how's it going? Great, um, great. So uh, I think, like, it might have been like a year ago or so. I don't know. I think the Pope maybe had made a comment about something about people who were in an invalid marriage still receiving communion or something. And I remember Tim Staples had, like, made some defensive comments about it, and it was a little disturbing to me, because I, I was wondering if you guys had ever, like, had a chance to clarify that, or if you, like, I was wondering if how you could defend that, because I remember what he said was that there might be a situation where a woman is in an invalid marriage, and she's still having a sexual relationship, but she could still receive communion, and I, to me, I, I don't understand that, because... Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's referring to that when uh, Morris Letizia came out, um, there was a particular uh, I think uh, footnote on that uh, in that document. And footnotes obviously are not considered the main body of the encyclical, so there's some um, leeway there. But also, uh, there is a case called the internal form solution or brother sister relationship, where if someone is in an invalid marriage, but for whatever reason, they're unable, they've already tried, and they're unable to get a decree of nullity, then they can live as brother and sister uh, with the, you know, the bishop's permission, and that means they abstain from sexual activity, 
but they're still living as as husband and wife in, in the same house. Um, that's the only situation I can think of. Now, there may be um, other circumstances where some priests, unfortunately, think that they can go a little bit further and say to a, a couple that's in Valley married, well, as long as you in good faith, you know, come to church and that you can receive communion. No, the church, you know, is very clear that that's not... Uh, that's not a viable option. I think what Pope Francis was saying, and as later was, um, I think, uh, uh, sort of explained to us through the Congregation of Doctrine of the Faith, was that Pope Francis was not changing the church discipline, was saying to us, be as pastoral as we can within the, the, the parameters that are afforded to us already mm, yeah. by canon law. Okay. And Peter, thank you so much for your call. It's uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. We have a line open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father John Tregilio here answering those questions for you on Open Line Monday here on EWTN. Let's go to Ralph now in St. Clair, Michigan, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Hey, Ralph, what's on your mind today, sir? Um, What's on my mind is uh, kind of... uh been thinking about it and was thinking that what about people that may not be uh, as intelligent uh, how does God judge uh, people that maybe have a lower IQ or I mean I'm not saying I mean they're they're competent and all that yeah. but they might not fully understand you know Catholicism Christianity and things yes. of that nature okay Uh, That's an excellent question, and uh, there is a principle uh, in Catholic theology we call invincible ignorance, where someone doesn't know all that they need to know, but it's not their fault, either because, like the person said, maybe their IQ isn't uh, at the level it should be or could be, or maybe there's other issues, Uh, there's a lot of emotional stress, it could be psychological uh, debilitation, it could be any number of things. So invincible ignorance uh, means that the person is unable to ascertain those things they need to know. So God is going to be much merciful with them. You're only going to be judged by what you knew and what you chose to do freely and deliberately with that knowledge. It also requires those of us who have that capacity, who are completely rational and have um, you know, what we consider a normal IQ, that we still have to you know, learn, we have to study, we have to seek those eternal truths that God reveals to us through the faith. So someone who's like, I, I hate to use the word simple, uh-huh. but um, you know, someone that's not um, a rocket scientist, uh, they're going to be judged by what they knew and what they did with what they knew. Okay. And we appreciate your call, Ralph. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. Here's a question now from Carlos. How do we know Christianity is the correct belief when there is a sea of religions throughout history since before even Jesus was born? Well, uh, that that's an intriguing question. Um, yeah, there are lots of religions out there, but uh, besides the fact that you know Christianity is one of the largest, uh, it's been around for 2,000 years, uh-huh. Jesus Christ is the only one, the only head of a faith, of a religion, who prophesied his death and then rose from the dead uh, three days later. Nobody else, not Abraham, not Muhammad, not uh, you know Vishnu, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Buddha, none of those uh, you know people uh, predicted their death and actually rose from the dead. okay? So Jesus is the only one who have, who was able to do that. 
He predicted it. It happened. And his believers have been faithful. So it's not just merely amount of time. It's not just a number issue. But it's the fact that he alone said that, and he did it. Sure did. Appreciate that. Thank you uh, for your question there. It's uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN Radio. There's a line available for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father John, 833-288-3986. Christine says, what is the best way to admonish sinners especially when you receive the response, the response, don't be so judgmental. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, well, um, we're told in the scripture how to do fraternal correction. One, you meet with the person privately uh-huh. with charity and with discretion. If that doesn't work, then you try, you bring someone else along whom they, whom they respect and uh, would listen to. Uh, if they don't listen to that, then you refer them to the church. So, we tell people, if you have a direct uh, authority over these people, like this is your son or daughter, you have a moral obligation to say something to them. And if they don't listen, you keep saying to them. You just, you know, we're not asking you to harass them or you're saying something to them every single day. Right. But you have to persevere. Uh, if it's a sibling, you have to at least make an attempt. But as we're also told in Scripture, no prophets without honor except where? In his own house. Yeah. So don't... You know, don't get discouraged if, you know, the person that you're trying to give correction to doesn't listen to you at first, but you at least have the moral obligation to make that attempt. Uh, you can't just sit back and say, well, they're not going to listen to me. Well, you didn't even try. Um, they yeah. may respond to somebody else later on, but you have to at least sow that seed maybe. Christine, thank you so much uh, for your question. Back to the phones now at 833-288-EWTN. Here is Elena in Brownsville, Texas, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hi, Elena. What's on your mind today? Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Yes. um, I was wondering, uh, when we have group discussions, friends and I and, and stuff like that, I talk about the abortion issue, and I being told that I'm being judgmental. (laughs) <laughs> so I feel kind of like bad. I mean, I'm, am I being judgmental for bringing up that issue? Uh, no. No. no any, you would not be judgmental any more than the abolitionists who brought up slavery. Yeah. You know, they, it was a religious people who started the abolitionist movement. And it was religious people who said slavery is an evil, it's sinful, and it's wrong. Uh, likewise, uh, you know, the people, it was religious people who started uh, working against segregation uh, in the South. Mm-hmm. And it's religious people who are you know, speaking up on behalf of the unborn and also uh, the sick and elderly who are threatened with, with um, euthanasia. So you're not being judgmental when you're looking at the act itself, the act of abortion, uh, which was be, would be like the, uh, the act of euthanasia, which would be like uh, race, uh, racism, slavery, uh, segregation. Now, judgmental would be if you impute upon the people who do that other motives. I don't know what possesses someone to do these things, but I can at least say what you're doing is wrong. Just like if somebody robs a bank, I don't know what their rationale was for that, but I can say what you did was wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Elena, we hope that's helpful uh, for you. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. There uh, looks like we have one line available right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 
888-388-3986. Hey, if you're up early in the morning, like around 5.15 in the morning, Eastern Time, I would recommend Fire on the Earth, a wonderful program. Peter Herbeck provides a compelling look at the new evangelization through inspiring teachings, interviews, and testimonies. If you haven't heard it, Peter's insights will help Catholics acquire the tools they need to do their part in the new evangelization. Again, that's at uh, 5.15 in the morning, Monday through Friday. Fire on the Earth right here on EWTN Radio. It would take fire and earth to get me up that early, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there are people who are up that I early. I know there's people up there early. You know? let's, let's pray for them. What do you <laughs> yes. say, Father? All right. Absolutely. Here is uh, Mary now in Washington, D.C. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I'm a devoted Catholic, and I have friends that are evangelical Christians, and they go to prayer services, um, scriptural readings and discussion, etc., and they uh-huh. invite me to go. I know that was frowned upon when I was a child in Catholic school, but what is the um, proper attitude toward being in, going along with some scripture um, um, classes, etc., with people that are non-Catholic? Well, we certainly um, we don't oppose anybody praying together. So going to a, a, a prayer service uh-huh. uh, where you're praying for each other or for other people or you're just, you know, uh, praising God, um, where I would draw a, a, a line of, of, of caution would be if you're doing a Bible study, you have to ask yourself, what is their um, perspective on this? If they only have Scripture alone, then they're going to be leaving out sacred tradition with sacred Scripture, mm. and then there's no teaching authority. So... I'm not saying that what they're saying at that particular Bible study is wrong, but they don't have the fullness of God's revealed truth. They've got a good chunk of it, but not the fullness. And uh, obviously, you know, you can go to a Protestant uh, a wedding or funeral or, uh, you know, prayer service. Uh, you're just not allowed to receive the sacraments. Like, you know, you wouldn't go to communion, say, in the Lutheran Church as, as a Catholic. Right. But you could certainly go. Um, but in Bible study, that's the only thing I would be cautious of is, What's you know their perspective on how they interpret scripture? Um, if you go to one of these, then I would say take down notes and then you know share them and have a discussion with your parish priest or deacon uh, to see if they have any uh, input for that. Mary, thanks so much for your call. Here is Larry now, a first-time caller in Southern Illinois, listening on the Great Covenant Network. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Uh, yes, I was uh, reading our monthly. Uh, Messenger, uh-huh. and uh, the title was helping uh, gay people get reconciled with the church, <clears throat> and it goes on to talk about homosexual <coughs> tendencies and homosexual inclinations. And I'm confused on them, what the two mean. Okay. Okay. Um, well, the uh, homosexual inclination orientation is uh, that's something which you know we haven't there, there has not been infallible. Uh, evidence to show it's either something that someone's born with or it's something that they learned. But the point is, if someone has this inclination orientation, uh, it may not be their fault. And the orientation or inclination itself, whereas the catechism said it's disordered, it's only sinful when someone acts on it. Uh, In the same way, if somebody, say, you know, had an inclination orientation, um, you know, to be romantic with their brother or sister, that's disordered, yes, 
but if they um, don't act on it, I mean, there's no sin involved, but that person still needs to get that, you know, uh, disordered, hopefully treated, um, to keep it in check. Or if someone, you know, has, has kleptomania where they want, you know, they have this, they feel a need to take things that aren't theirs. Um, if they're not actually stealing anything, they're not committing a sin. But it is something that's, you know, disordered that needs to be observed and kept in check. And uh, if it's not able to be resolved um, medically or um, psychologically, then, you know, the person must still do their best to avoid and acting out those situations. Larry, thank you so much uh, for your call. And uh, kind of an allied question here from Aaron. What is your guidance on controlling lust? Well, I would say the best way of controlling lust is the opposite of virtue, uh, which is chastity. And so praying for chastity and purity, especially uh, through the intercession of Our Lady, because she is sort of the, the queen of purity. And here's a little trick that I, you know, share with the seminarians, and I've used it myself. If you are feeling the strong temptation to lust or anger, um, and the prayers don't seem to be doing the trick, think of something uh, that's very innocent, uh, but humorous. I always conjure up uh, a scene from the Three Stooges or something in my mind. <laughs> and that little chuckle inside you allows you that moment to now uh, get back into control and change the channel, so to speak. Uh, so definitely try prayer first. But if that doesn't work, use this other strategy. You're sort of distracting the lust, so to speak, so you can get back on track. Kind of, Yeah, that, that kind of derails the lust, doesn't it? Yes, Wow, that's a that's especially a, a pie in the face. <laughs> oh yeah! Now, now you're talking, Father. You can't you can't go wrong with the Three Stooges. No. All right, it is uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN Radio. Lisa is listening in Mason City, Iowa. I believe that call is ready to roll. Lisa, what's on your mind today? Well, I've just been reading a lot of comments lately that people make about. Um, saving the earth and preserving the planet and and you know i think it's a, a wonderful thing to do but they some of those views might also be um those are also, they're also pro-abortion yes. and so that in one hand they're saying we want to preserve creation but not not human life <laughs> yes i just wondered what you thought about that oh i agree with you 100 percent that uh there are some people who are so pro-ecology that they are not consistent because that's part of the ecology too because life is on this planet so if we want to save the planet but are not concerned about the human life that's being intentionally destroyed through abortion then you know it's not only inconsistent but it's also counterproductive because then what's going to happen is you know uh, we see with the low birth rates now um, yeah. The human race is is not you know necessarily on good footing here. I mean, when I was growing up, oh, it's overpopulation, overpopulation. Well, guess what? They're finding out that we're not having enough kids, yep. especially in the developed countries. And uh, you know, so whether or not there's global warming or you know CO two or whatever, that's irrelevant if there's not people alive today. Yeah, seems like a real disconnect, doesn't it? It is, and you want consistency at all times. Absolutely. Lisa, thank you so much for your call. Max says, if I'm in mortal sin and I'm not able to get to confession, is it okay for me to receive communion if I say a firm act of contrition? No. Um, you are, if, I would say make a, uh, a perfect act of contrition so that, God forbid, if you were to get run over by a truck. I mean, the nuns used to tell us that all the time. Yeah. I was so afraid of truck drivers at one point <laughs> that my uncle was one. He said, they're nothing to be afraid of. But um, just 
make an act of contrition is not enough for a Catholic to be uh, disposed to go to communion if they're in the state of mortal sin. It is sufficient if you're in danger of death and you and the and you can't get and the priest can't get to you in time. Then you make a perfect act of contrition. Let's say, God forbid, you're on a plane and it starts to go down, uh -huh. uh, and you're you've got a mortal sin in your soul. Make a perfect act of contrition. Uh, that will that will work. But if you're, st it's like um, if somebody's walking around here on earth and they're alive and healthy, the act of contrition by itself will not remove that mortal sin if you're in a healthy situation. You need to go to confession. All right, very good. And Daniel says, what is the difference between God's foreknowledge of our salvation and being predestined for salvation? Is it possible to desire and seek salvation but not earn it because you are not predestined? What do you think? Uh, well, one, we don't earn it. That, that's the, the, the heresy of Pelagianism, okay. where uh, human beings can earn their way to salvation. Mm -hmm. um, the Church condemned that, especially through St. Augustine. Um, God's foreknowledge is He knows everything. He knows what we're going to do. He even knows what we would have done but didn't do. Uh, his, uh, his predestination, unlike John Calvin, who said that God predestined some people to hell, some to heaven, God doesn't predestine anyone to hell. He does predestine some people to heaven by giving them a, a special grace, which still respects their free will, like, for instance, the Virgin Mary. But the rest of us, we still have a chance uh, to get to heaven, but we need God's grace, and we need to cooperate with that grace in order for it to take place. Okay. Here's one now from uh, Daniel uh, checking us out on Facebook. My friend was wondering what this scripture means in life, Matthew 5, 20, which is part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has reported that he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But in this verse, he makes it clear that the common understanding of the law is not enough. What do you think, Father? Well, when he talks about fulfilling the law, he's talking about uniting the spirit of the law with the letter of the law. The purpose of the Ten Commandments was not just so that God could tell us what to do because he's the boss, but the thou shalt nots are like on the little pill bottle that you have, uh, the prescription. It says, take three pills daily, do not take with alcohol, do not drive, blah, blah, blah. They're not suggestions. In a sense, they're commandments, but they're there to keep you safe. Sure, sure. And that's why God gives us his law to keep us safe. Now, sometimes our only motivation is, well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's sufficient. It's not a perfect one. Just like, well, I don't want to go in the hospital and have my stomach pump because I took the wrong amount of pills. But my real um, intention should be, I want to be healthy. I want to get better. So I'm going to follow the prescription of the doctor as well as the pharmacist. Okay, very good. And here's a classic, one of these questions we hear all the time on, all the time. on EWTN. <laughs> Shannon wants to know, why aren't there women priests? Good question. And Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, which was written by St. John Paul the Great, uh, makes it clear that the Church has no authority to change what is considered a constitutive element of the sacraments. Just like water has to be used for baptism, you can't use milk, can't use ketchup, has to be water because that's what Jesus and the, had given to the church. And likewise, uh, when he established holy orders, he only chose uh, 12 men. If anyone would have been the most likely candidate, it would have been his mother. And people say, well, you know, that wasn't the, the cultural milieu at the time. There were other things, like him talking to the woman at the well. That was against the, the custom at the time. So if he wanted to, he would have. Um, and at no point in church history has there been the ordination of women, certainly not in the 
in the uh, Catholic Church and definitely not in the Eastern Orthodox Church. So it's not to say that women aren't worthy of it. Men are not worthy. Uh, it's a vocation that comes from God that's confirmed by the Church, and the priest acts in persona Christi. Jesus, God, and man, in his human nature, he was male. So that's why the priest, you know, the, the, his, his spouse is the same spouse that Jesus had, Holy Mother Church. You know, we don't have same-sex marriages, so uh-huh. uh, the priest has to be male because his bride is the church. Very good. Shannon, we hope that's helpful for you. Uh, Francis has a very personal question here. Francis says, My friends have been praying to have a child for a couple of years, and they're beginning to despair. Do you have any advice as far as saints to pray for intercessions yes. or any, any ways I can pray with them? I would say, first and foremost, encourage them uh, to pray to St. Gerard. Ah. And there's a shrine to St. Gerard in uh, New Jersey. I think it's in Newark. You can actually get, uh, it's, it's not a relic, but it's a, it's a handkerchief that is blessed on his feast day. Uh-huh. St. Gerard is the most powerful patron saint of uh, people who want to um, either conceive or may have a, a, a difficult pregnancy involved. He is the first and foremost, I would say, St. Gerard Magella. Okay, very good. And then finally, uh, from Courtney, what happened to St. Joseph after Christ was born? Do we know, Father? Well, uh, he was still there because uh, we know he was at, uh, when Jesus was missing for three days at the age of 12, Mary and Joseph were at the temple. So St. Joseph was certainly around for 12 years. Yeah. Uh, when he died, we don't know. But the fact is that Jesus spent 30 of his 33 years in Nazareth. Um, most of that time, St. Joseph could have been around. We don't know between 12 and 30 of Jesus' life, when did St. Joseph go, but he was least around until he was 12. Very good. Father, could you give us your blessing, please? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Father, and uh, we'll be uh, looking for, forward to hearing from you next Monday at this time, God willing, right here on EWTN's Open Line. Don't forget, we have a great show for you every day of the week here on Open Line. And uh, tomorrow is no exception. Tomorrow is going to be Father Wade Menezes answering questions on faith, family, and fellowship. We look forward to that. On behalf of our fantastic team here, I'm Tom Price along with Father John. Thanks for joining us today on Open Line Monday. Have a great day and God bless.